Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, and these are stories, true as we can tell them. In the Welcome back to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg. And I'm Deb Van Slat. Well, we are week eight in, um, <laughs> in, in what, whatever we call it. Uh, let's call it confinement for, for today. Yeah. How, how is confinement going for you? I never thought I'd ask that question. I have to say, in, in the world of questions I thought I'd ask in my life, <laughs> how's your confinement? Confinement. <laughs> today, today's not as, I'm not quite as cheerful today as I, as I have been. I think that's... Uh, I think everybody's on a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, generally speaking, you know, I will say, of course, I, I am fine. I'm one of the lucky ones, no doubt. But it's it's a roller coaster in terms of, um, you know, some days I just feel like, yeah, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We are definitely getting there. And it's not that I don't feel that today, but I definitely feel the heaviness of the journey there. I feel a bit like I'm in a Black Mirror episode. I, I don't know if you watch Black Mirror, but um, where there is something that seems beautiful, like the weather outside today is incredible, but there's a constant state of threat. I just feel under constant threat. And, uh, oh, and also, I'm, I'm, I'm navigating the world through my phone. So that's, yeah, that's why I'm in Black Mirror mode today. Yeah, and there's starting to be articles written about, you know, the detrimental effects of Zooming. So that that didn't take long to discover because it it it's totally fatiguing to be uh, staring at a screen and and you end up looking at your face too much, you know. It's so str- I have to say, like the weirdest thing is that as an adult going through this, it sometimes feels like our life is on pause. And I mean, there are definite pros and definite cons to having kids in this crisis, young kids. Uh, but one of them is just seeing how this isn't really a pause. Like this is still a, a key this is a portion of your life right like this is a, a span of life i'm watching my kids grow up and like my daughter went from training wheels to riding without and my son who's four went from tricycle to to training wheels bicycle like they're progressing and they're growing and it's it's kind of interesting to be thinking about that while we're working on this project about stories to realize that this hold that we're all experiencing is is not a hold this is this, these are essential experiences we're having right now, even if they're repetitive and <laughs> occasionally terrifying. And I, and I think the onset of spring is further proof to that. It's like we human beings feel like we're on pause because productivity isn't what it's supposed to be. And we're not spending or making money in the way that we are supposed to be. But, you know, the buds are coming out on the silver ma- maple outside of my window and the grass is growing, the flowers are popping up, like spring still happens. Your kids are still growing. So it is a funny word to put to it. Pause. Hmm. I'm going to be musing over this for the next little while as I remain in confinement. <laughs> I, I keep laughing about this. It's really, uh, I think that's the sign of hysteria. I've hit the hysteria stage. I really, <laughs> I really have. Yeah. Uh. Delirium. Well, Listen, maybe this is too intimate of a detail, but sometimes my girlfriend and I, we are delirious with laughter. That seems like the best way to handle this. It really does. And laughing is good. Actually, my daughter was saying, you know what she did before she had to get into some work assignment thing? 
She's like, I just watched the comedy channel on TikTok and I just killed myself <laughs> laughing for half an hour and it felt really good. Well, I mean, that is, this is essentially what we're doing here, right? Like we, we are providing that escape. We are giving those stories so that you, our wonderful audience, have, have something uh, in this tricky time. You know, we need some, we need some perspective here. And I think we've got a great story for some perspective to, to shift perspective, to shift lenses, to look at something a little bit different. Amira Tufo is a Bosnian-Canadian lawyer and writer. She's based here in Montreal. And after her story, we're going to have a brief interview to catch up a little bit, see how she's doing with COVID world. Amira's story is from December of 2017 when the theme was families. Here's Amira Tufo. My mother gave birth to me twice. She pushed me out into the world as she'd pushed me out of her womb. And she pushed me through the tunnel as she'd pushed me through the birth canal. We're never close, my mother and I. I'm her only child, the only one to compare, control, and criticize. Wear this, not that. I have to cut your hair short so it'll grow out thicker. Why are your clothes dirty? Have you been doing dirty things with the boys in the bush? Good girls, get good grades. If you don't get good grades, no one will want you. I'm 16 years old. We're in Sarajevo under siege in 1994. The city's a tight little womb with no exit, no electricity, no water, no phone lines, no food, no heat, no hope. The sound of gunfire and explosions is nearly constant, but sometimes it's far enough that one can relax. It is my 16th birthday, and somewhere, somehow, in this twilight, my mother has procured a pair of white, shiny Reebok sneakers. Now a trifle, but then a prize. But the sneakers are not the only present. There's also a letter. A letter has made its way to me through the siege. A letter arrived one afternoon through the Red Cross from some strangers in America. They know about me because a friend of a friend of a friend has shared with them a letter of mine. A letter that I wrote two years before a letter about surviving in Sarajevo during the war, and that letter exchanged many hands, and now, a reply. An invitation to leave the besieged city behind, to travel to the west coast, and live next to Olympic National Park. Yes, but leave how? The city's an oyster, no way in, no way out. At night, people run across the airplane runway, risking their lives trying to get to the free territory on the other side. And some die. But there is another way. My mother smells the world contained in the letter, the Pacific Ocean, and the pine trees of endless American forests. And she says, we're going through the tunnel. I refuse, not the tunnel. The tunnel's not even a tunnel. 
It's just a raw hole in the ground. My mother says, if you don't leave through the tunnel now, you're going to remain here forever. And she might be right. Neither Security Council resolutions, nor economic sanctions, nor international community condemnations have made a dent in the war. In Sarajevo, civilians await the bullet that bears their name. But my mother will preempt the bullet that bears mine. The tunnel is a hand-dug hole under the airplane runway. It was dug out by the Bosnian army to get weapons and supplies into the besieged town. The tunnel is hot and tight and dark and airless, and it's long. It's too long. Not so long. Maybe a kilometer. But permission is needed for civilian use. My mother raises hell. She knocks on doors. She turns up at ministers' offices and at general's headquarters, waving the letter, demanding that her daughter be allowed. And generals capitulate and ministers sign. We pack two backpacks because through the tunnel, we must travel light. And I will wear my new sneakers for good luck and so as to have something respectable on the other side, something that resembles peacetime. And then the days come, and it's a day in late July, and we journey to the Sarajevo suburb where the tunnel begins. I say journey because moving around the city is a wild ride under sniper fire. And we arrive at the door of someone's house. And it's a house just like any other house, but this is the house, the house in whose basement the tunnel begins. And we await our turn, and then we hop inside, and we advance slowly through the muddy darkness. And there are people pushing in from the other side, Soldiers, war profiteers, journalists, fools returning. And the hole is barely wide enough for two to cross paths. They're animals too, goats and sheep destined for slaughter, their eyes gleaming in the dark. And the air gets thinner as we go in deeper. And we're hunched over like two hags because the tunnel is not tall enough to stand upright. And there's a light on the other side at last. And we are greeted by a vast expanse of no man's land that we run across because it is the target of everyone's guns. And my new sneakers are ruined from the tunnel mud. And I throw them away by the side of the road. And then we journey. We journey to the nearest airport in neighboring Croatia, hitchhiking, riding rickety old trains and army trucks, and walking, so much walking, so much dust. And at the airport in Zagreb, two days later, we say goodbye. And we don't cry, 
We pretend. But this does not mean that we may never see each other again. Because she's going back into the womb of the city under siege. And I, I go and I grow up. I choose my own clothes and my own haircut. And when I'm doing my laundry in the beautiful house on the pond in Port Angeles, Washington, I miss her instructions because mother knows best after all. Amira, how are you? I'm all right. How are you, Deb? I'm not bad at all. Unusual circumstances make for more creative uh, ways of doing things, perhaps, because um, I find, generally speaking, it's an interesting idea to have an interview with, with one of the storytellers. Yeah. How are you doing in this sort of pandemical world? Have you like adjusted to it in terms of your, your life, creative, and work? I would say I have been muddling through. Um, it hasn't been easy. And I think for the first uh, few weeks of the pandemic, I kept looking to the future, thinking of things I would do when this is all over, you know, to make it up to myself. And um, then there was a realization, I think last week or the week before, that when things do go back to normal, they won't actually go back to normal, normal. So. Uh, there was a moment of grief associated with that, um, this idea that something's been taken away, you know, the way we were, the way we lived, uh, and especially the sense that time has been taken out of our lives. Time has been stolen. I feel like it was New Year's Eve yesterday. Now we're almost halfway through the year. And, uh, you know, this is what the year has been. Um, but since that moment... I've been more able to ground myself in the present moment. I mean, I don't see, you know, this future to look forward to in which I'll be doing exciting things to make up for all this lost time. Um, so it's brought me back to the present, something that I've never been able to actually experience in my entire life. So it's been an unusual gift of the pandemic, let's say. Uh, now I'm looking forward to maybe, you know, the next hour uh, or the evening or I'm just focused on what I'm enjoying at the moment. And it could be just reading a book or writing a new piece or, frankly, just opening my fridge. That's like a very important, exciting part of the day now, you know, when I open the fridge. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There is something about, and I'm not a particularly foodie sort of person, and neither is my girlfriend, actually, but we do discuss meals now in a way that we didn't. I know. I have made meals. If somebody told me I would be cooking for myself for two months straight, three meals a day, I would have told them they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. <That's it. laughs> so I guess maybe that's one of your techniques for adjusting to being inside so much. I think it's it's the same for a lot of people, actually. I've heard people sort of say, oh, my God, there's so many dishes, 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 dishes. All oh, my God. Yes, this is all I do all day. I'm just doing dishes. There's another technique. The Marie Kondo method. I have folded and refolded all my drawers and closets the Marie Kondo way. <laughs> I really have. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and now I can see everything I have, except I have nowhere to wear it. Although I did get dressed up to go to the hardware store last week. You know, I thought, hey, I'm going to the hardware store. This is something. 
That's funny because I put on a really nice shirt to go walk with a friend in the park the other day. I was so conscious of like, well, I haven't worn the shirt in so long and I'm going out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, your story that we just listened to was from December 2017, the family's mm-hmm. edition. And it is a riveting story. It is a beautiful story. And it is a story of loss and grief and gain, actually. So the, you know, the references you made uh, just a few minutes ago are, I feel like, very much part of part of that story. You know, it's it's a really deep and moving story. And um, have you revisited this story? In other words, do you do you tell people the story? And in the retelling, is it different now? I have told that story many times, uh, usually at dinner parties, uh, when people are getting to know each other, sort of where are you from and how did you end up here? And um, actually telling it at confabulation was the way to set it in stone. And I have never told it Mm -hmm. since. In a way, it was like releasing that story. Really? Yeah. But I have come back, especially now during this time, to the story that's a part of that story. You know, I was in Sarajevo during the siege in the 90s. And, you know, various aspects of what we're going through now bring back memories of that time. Uh, We are under siege in a certain way, and things have dramatically changed overnight, and we don't know what we're heading towards. And there's a danger out there uh, that we're not sure how to protect ourselves from. So I have been writing a lot about that, and I I wrote a little essay for the Montreal Gazette a few weeks ago about, you know, that exactly, and particularly the, the toilet paper pandemonium. Uh, which was mm-hmm. characteristic of the beginning of this crisis. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this has brought me back, I would say, to, to that part of my life, though not necessarily uh, to that particular story. That is interesting because it, it, it certainly did occur to me in listening to your, to your story that a state of siege, as you just made the parallel, is, is true. But of course, still, it's, it, it, is, it is different. It is very different for you to have lived through a, a war, you know. I mean, this is a luxurious are. siege. That's how I try to think of it. So you don't retell that story in particular? I know. I actually haven't. I'm sure it will come up again. Maybe it just hasn't come up since. But it was yeah. uh, it was good to tell it, you know, in that setting and to, yeah, I'm really doing that. I also wanted to honor my mother sort of publicly uh, by telling that story. Yeah, it, it feels that way. Where is she? She's in Sarajevo, and uh, she and my father are under sort of house siege because people over 65 haven't been allowed to leave their apartments for about a month and a half. Uh, you know, so, so they're reliving their own kind of siege over there. And yeah. um, they're actually fine. They also compare it to the siege of Sarajevo, and they say, well, you know, we're actually fine. We have electricity. We have running water. Uh, we have food. Um, we have, you know, we have everything we need. And, uh, and then they say to me, you know, remember that time when we were under siege and, you know, they were shooting at us and trying to kill us. So we're going to be fine. It, it feels uh, actually um, sort of strange to ask this, but, uh, you know, because I feel like what you just said was, um, well, that, that, that really gives the perspective. I think that's necessary. Not that, not that we always need to compare ourselves to others and not to diminish what, of course, people are, in fact, experiencing. And I count myself as one of the lucky ones, mm. um, for sure, right now, you know. 
perspective is also very easy to lose. I think sometimes mm. we have perspective when we're going through something and maybe immediately after it has passed. But then, you know, time passes and we, we adjust to a new normal. Um, and then we lose perspective. I don't necessarily feel that I have a, a much greater perspective because of what I went through intellectually. It's there, the memory and the idea that this is not so bad. But uh, it doesn't mean that living through it is actually any easier. And I think that's sort of like a human tragedy. We go through all kinds of things, we gain perspective, and then we lose it. That is very, very nicely said. Um, I, I, I tend to believe that myself, which is, you know, a little depressing in a way. Yeah. Um, but I, I, maybe that's, you know, that is, that is humanity's lot in life, because we do, we love to say never again, and history shouldn't repeat itself, and, and it does. Yeah, I mean, sometimes being liberated from perspective also keeps the aiming higher. You know, you also touched on normal and going back to normal and that we wouldn't go back to normal. And I wonder if you have an idea of what a new normal might be. How, how do you look at that? I really don't know. And I'm, I'm sort of afraid to imagine it. Uh, I'm someone who's, who enjoys, you know, being with people. I have a big social life. I love going to cultural events. Uh, it's a big part of my life. I know that those things will certainly not be the same, although I'm aware that you know many more important things will be lost, and people have lost much more important things you know, than that, than their lifestyle, let's say, or their way of life. Um, I suppose there will be a certain fear uh, among us, a fear of each other, a fear of proximity, fear of reaching out across this invisible boundary. You know, I don't know what that boundary will be uh, when this is all over. Are we going to be wearing masks? How is that going to affect our interactions in public um, and sort of our interactions with the society? I mean, those are the things I, I think about and they're unsettling. Yeah, and remain to be seen. Yeah. Is there a story, uh, you know, whether it's a film or a piece of writing, an, an essay, a book that you draw inspiration from right now and, and might want to share? as something that could be, uh, I don't know, inspiring? Yes, I'm, I'm dipping back into two books written by the same author, and they're very much along the same line. There are two collections of essays. One is called uh, Kitchen Table Wisdom, and the other mm. is called My Grandfather's Blessings. And it's uh, a book that's written by an American physician, Rachel Naomi Remen. And it's really just little essays and stories from her life, I mean, from her practice as a doctor, but also from her childhood and stories from her family. And they're incredibly uh, life-affirming. There are stories about the mystery of life uh, and life's capacity for rejuvenation, um, the mystery of human connection, and uh, even the mysteries of death and, and the way that death serves life. So it's, uh, it's a really, these are wonderful books to be reading uh, at this time, and I highly, highly recommend them. They, they just fill you up with hope. Thank you very, very much for, for joining our podcast and, um, and for just sharing some of your, your thoughts, your perspective, sharing your story with us. And um, I really, I know that we will see each other at a confabulation event sometime in the future. Thanks so much for joining us, Amira. Thanks for having me. All right, you take it easy. Bye. Thank you, Deb and Amira. This is something we want to do uh, a little more often in this uh, in this weird, wonderful context we're all in, is just to catch up with our storytellers, to find out what they're up to, what they've been doing, and how they're making it through this tricky time. 
We are also, of course, continuing our Stories in Isolation series. We're going to be posting videos, short videos of storytellers just sharing an experience of isolation or community. We'll have one from Amira. We'll be sharing it on Facebook and Instagram, and you will be able to find the link to those in the show notes. You can also find hashtag Stories in Isolation on Instagram or Facebook. And that is our show for this week. So thanks everyone for tuning in for listening we'll be back in two weeks with another true life story and a true life check-in take care take it easy everybody stay healthy thanks so much for listening to confabulation we're a nonprofit dedicated to the art of true life storytelling we run monthly autobiographical storytelling shows in montreal and victoria you can learn more about the show and sign up for our mailing list at confabulation.ca or check us out on social media where we're at confab stories Confabulation the Podcast is produced by our team, Dev Venslet, Stephen Trepanier, and me, Matt Goldberg. Special thanks to the Conseil des Arts de Montréal for their support of Confabulation. We couldn't do it without you.